Welcome back to the Madonna Get Together. I'm your host, Wayne, and Zorian and I continue to talk about Ray of Light in Season 2, Episode 2. Her Velcro ponytail that was attached yeah. to her coat, Wig. not to her head. Um, <laughs> but we digress. We got Sky Fits Heaven, and that is the next track on the album. Now, this one caused a little bit of controversy because the lyrics were from this poet who did this Gap commercial like uh, a couple years before, right? And I think there was some criticism because people were like, well, she didn't write this. This this guy wrote it. And, you know, I don't know all of the details, but apparently this guy was like, we'll pay you for the song, but you're not going to get writing credit on it. Or we'll pay you for these lyrics, but you're not going to get any credit for it. Um, which I don't know. I, I think the, the human and an empath and ethical person in me says like, no, you give everyone credit. I don't, that's just my feeling on it. I, I'm not, I don't hate the song. I, I love elements of this song. It's not my, it's not like my favorite song on the record, but it's, it's got a good beat to it. What are your thoughts? Okay. First of all, I love the song because Okay, first of all, is it the entire lyric that's his poetry, or is it just the first verse and like Ray of Light, Madonna added her own lyrics afterwards? Because I think it may I, have been that, but she gave Curtis Muldoon credit for Ray of Light. I don't think she gave anyone else credit, and I don't think there was a lawsuit because I don't think the guy argued it either. I think the guy was like, "Yeah, I got paid for it," and mm-hmm. maybe, but I think people recognized yeah. it because they're like, "It's a Gap commercial. We had VCRs. People recorded mm-hmm. it." Hmm. For me, I think it's like probably just the first verse, which was his poem, and the rest was her lyrics, like Ray of Light, because mm-hmm. Fate Fits Karma, I doubt he would write about that. And... You don't know. <laughs> we'll have to, we'll have to I'll, you know, I, I meant to, to try to look up this Gap commercial. I think I had trouble finding it, which is why I, I don't well, know exactly what lyrics are being used. Well, it's I saw the Gap commercial, and it's only the Sky Fits Heaven part, the first verse, so to speak. And Hans Fitzgiving and a little bit here and there, but a lot of it is also Madonna's own writing, but let the lawyers decide about that. Right. I personally feel like, you know, if I go by my narrative arc of this album, nothing really matters is when she realizes she's a mother. Sky Fits Heaven is the journey she goes on to understand what are the morals I'm going to teach my child when it's born. I'm pregnant right now. What do I want to teach my child? Okay, Fate fits karma, hand fits giving, so do it, generosity, going beyond the thing. And it's basically what she went when she was pregnant with Lourdes itself. Like she started exploring spirituality more. She discovered yoga while she was pregnant by doing the pregnancy yoga classes and then the Ashtanga. She went on deep spiritual journeys and all. And even she, and she didn't do it on the surface level. Like if you see that ultrasound interview of Kurt Loder interviewing the entire studio and all. Yes, yep. I don't know if you noticed, she started talking about Vata, Pita, and all those things. Now, those are actually central concepts of Ayurvedic medicine philosophy, which if someone is just scanning the surface, will never understand it. But she was diagnosing everyone's in the recording studios, their Ayurvedic body constitution and everything like that. So that's basically autobiographical of how she was searching for answers to 
basically impart morals or just a solid foundation for her daughter, which is why after Sky Fitzhaven, it transitions into Shanti Ashtangi because yoga became the core central way of creating that. Yeah, well, let's get into the next track because um, I think it was very interesting. Um, I I remember when I first heard it, it's like I didn't quite, I, I thought it was, I didn't know what to think. I mm-hmm. didn't know if she was, if she was trying to create propaganda or is it, you know, being a little, um, what's the word pretentious or is this really her, her new thought process, her, her new kind of like way of living. So I think, you know, as a fan, it's normal to question things like, Oh, what is she, what is she doing now? What, what does this mean? Um, luckily they included the English lyrics. So I understood. And it's one of the songs that it's so weird that it's probably the only song that's in another language that I can pronounce. <laughs> okay, so the thing is, uh, regarding the pretension part of this album, just to go back a little to Sky Fitzhaven, it's not like she's saying she's discovered actual answers. She's keep saying, I'm just traveling down this road, but I'm just going to see what resonates with my heart. And because that's the best way to start. It's like when we try to discover new things, we have to see what fits sits right with us. And so the thing is, she's never committed to one particular thought process, but she found what resonated with her heart. And at that time, what resonated was yoga, and which is where Shanti Ashtangi comes in. Now, Shanti Ashtangi is basically the Ashtanga mantra. Now, Ashtanga is a style of yoga which Madonna got into post the birth of Lourdes, which is why she has great arms on Rosie O'Donnell and keeps showing them off as well. So this is basically the prayer you chant before every Ashtanga yoga class. It's basically when we start a yoga class, we do the Om chants, Om Shanti and everything. For Ashtanga classes, this is the specific prayer which you say before starting a yoga practice of Ashtanga. And fun fact, the closing prayer, like when you finish your yoga class, the closing prayer is basically what she released as Saibaraga a few years later as music. The narrative process is like she's found the answers in a yoga class and the tracks that follow afterwards are what she discovers in the meditative moments of the yoga class afterwards to give her answers on deeper things. The entire verses are in Sanskrit because that's the original language the chants were written in. And it's basically like a, you're thanking your teacher for the enlightenment your teacher has given you, the teacher being either the teacher of the class or the great teachers of the cosmos or whatever, but you're just thanking them for your, their wisdom and what they've taught you, be it yoga or whatever, and you know, going to try to apply that wisdom to your life to make you to evolve on your spiritual journey. And Om Shanti, Om is the sacred sound of the universe, which, unlike Rosie O'Donnell, she got Tom Cruise in her hand and the henna tattoos. But Om basically means the resounding sound of the universe, and Shanti basically means peace. So, so it's basically let the universe resound with peace. Mm. Yeah, that, that Tom Cruise did not age well. <laughs> 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 on so many levels <laughs> well th- yeah exactly <laughs> well thank you for 
helping me as well as I'm sure mm-hmm. others who don't know that really understand like mm-hmm. what she was doing there. And that transitions into Frozen, yes. the first single off the album. And it's an important, it, it's really weird because I don't know if she had ever put out a ballad as a lead single before. And I do not count Live to Tell because I don't believe that was the original intended first single from True Blue. Mm-hmm. I think she made it for a movie and it ended up being on the album. That's how mm-hmm. I look at that. But I think this is the first time she intentionally put out a, a ballad as a lead single from a full album. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But I love... This was a good introduction of what this album was going to sound like. Like mm-hmm. if I, li- it's not like you put on frozen and then you listen to the other tracks and like, Oh, nothing else really sounds like that. Um, but this does. And it, I think it gave everyone a good introduction to this album and uh, why it was important. A phenomenal video. Uh, it's probably one of my, it, it's definitely my favorite video from this album but it's also probably one of my favorite videos ever. Uh, I just thought it was so different and so cool. And even though she had this new look where, you know, her hair was, you know, long and, and strawberry blonde, she didn't care. She put on a wig, she had on dark clothes, she like covered herself up like, and she was almost like this witch in a desert. And I love, again, the juxtaposition of being in a desert, but calling it frozen. Um, Cause they were originally thinking about doing this in Iceland or something like that, but um, something about the logistics didn't work out with that. So they ended up doing it uh, in the desert, which I thought mm-hmm. was done really well. Um, mm-hmm. And what's interesting about this song is the the recent uh, Sick Kick remixes that have come <laughs> out, and she's also re-recorded this song with Sway Lee and apparently these remixes are coming. I don't know if it's part of this whole remix project or if it's something separate, but I'm all for it. Hopefully it's for the, the new release of the super anniversary edition albums, even though it's the 19th anniversary. No, wait, what's no, it'll be the 24th anniversary, right? I think Gosh, time yeah. passes by. 24th anniversary of this song, which next year is actually the the 25th anniversary of the uh, Ray White album. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't know what these remixes are for, but I still want to hear them. What are your thoughts on this song? Okay, before I get to that, I'm so happy the song's doing going viral on TikTok and Instagram. I'm so happy that Gen Zers are getting into Madonna through the song and not through mm-hmm. Like a Virgin, even though I love Like a Virgin and all. <laughs> but I think it's the song is just such a beautiful song. I think it's it's such a hauntingly beautiful melody with deep personal lyrics on so many levels. Um to segue into what I feel is the spiritual arc of the song. So in a yoga class, we end every class with Shavasana or the corpse pose, where we basically have to lie down and let our body recharge itself and close the eyes, if you've ever done a yoga class. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people who are really deep into the spiritual side of yoga, if they have a very good practice or what we call it tapasya, 
they tend to have spiritual visions during Shavasana. And if, and the thing is that entire part of your frozen when your heart's not open, that's basically summing up yoga philosophy to unlock all the barriers of not just your heart, but your entire body and open it. Because when she's saying, if I could melt your heart, it's yes, on a superficial level, it's talking about a frozen lover who's not able to look at you. But if you right. look at it from a deeper perspective, which is what I'm boring the audiences with all the time, it's basically your higher self is your true lover. And that's basically telling you, you have so much more to see, but you're just looking at the superficial world around you and petty problems. There's something beyond that, awaken that inner self, awaken your whole, open your blinded third eye and see the world that's out there, which is why if you look at the video, she's shape-shifting constantly from a flock of birds to the dog to being levitating to be split into three. That's basically a lot. There are many symbolisms for that, but I'd probably spend an entire hour talking about each symbolism in the video because it's all to do with tantric goddess culture as well as the tantric Pariyat culture and all. But um, basically what it's trying to show is that reality is not what it seems. Whatever you're seeing is not what it is. You have to be have an open mind and an open heart to see reality being disrupted, which is why we see Madonna floating on there, kind of like a Christ-like figure, only to fall down right. into a flock of crows or just transmute into dogs through martyrgram undulations. And that's to show that, you know, that is rea- reality is not what we see with our two eyes. It's what we experience through our open third eye. That's the true reality of life. But we have to look past the lower concerns. You have to see there's something deeper and bigger. We can only do that when, uh, but we can't do that when our heart's not open. Makes sense. Makes perfect sense. Mm. Um, So is when you say like the third eye and there's this image of Madonna towards the different parts of the video where there's three Mm. of her. Yeah. Would, Would you say that that's like, connecting that theme with like the third eye. And then at the end it becomes one because she has let that third eye open. Yeah. Because uh, that is there because also the three Madonnas basically represent three forms of the goddesses in Greco Roman culture. It's made in mother crown and Indian culture. We have a thing called three Devi, which is Saraswati, Lakshmi and Shakti or Kali or whatever. And that's basically like, Tantric philosophy is all about different aspects of the goddess Kali. And the whole three symbolism, three, 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 with the release of the Ray of Light album. That's the thing if people actually start exploring Eastern spirituality and Eastern philosophies, they'll be like, damn, Madonna was telling, talking all about it through these 13 tracks in this album. And we just were like, where's the Ray of Light Richie Santana remix? Did that That was me. That was me. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. You're forgiven <laughs> for your white boyness. <laughs> but yeah, and also if you notice, when she's towards the end of the video, the black cloth, which becomes like black liquid, is flowing back into yes. her. That's also symbolic of blood returning back to the goddess. Because you see, and I'm trying to make it as simple as possible, but there's a reason for that to happen. It's basically the earth is a goddess. The desert is patriarchy, scorching the earth of its fertility. 
And in old farming practices, the best way to fertilize a field is through a blood sacrifice, which is why they would sacrifice animals, like take their blood and pour it on the soil to give the soil fertility again. So basically, the frozen landscape, the desert, is basically what the damaged patriarchy has done to the protagonist's soul. And the blood coming back is basically taking ownership of your divine feminine energy and reclaiming fertility altogether. Awesome. <laughs> Again, so enlightening. I I think that, and I think it, you know, helps that you have all this knowledge um, because I think, you know, while Madonna may have had this knowledge, I think she has a different way of um, demonstrating it for mm -hmm. her audience because she integrates it into her art. She doesn't want to have to explain it all like, like you're doing. I think you're actually helping people who may not understand what Madonna was doing mm -hmm. to help them really like make the connect those dots and make those connections. Um, but you know, frozen, she, that's the one I think she probably performed the most when she was promoting this album. Mm -hmm. She did it on some, some like lottery show. She did it in Japan with the actual black wig and mm -hmm. dress. Um, she did it on Rosie O'Donnell, which I want to talk about because, you know, in a lot of these performances, especially in Europe, there's kind of an understanding where you lip sync when you, when you come on the show. Mm hmm. And so, you know, and yeah, we know Madonna lip syncs a lot of the time, I mean, in performances. And Rosie was no exception. Mm -hmm. I mean, she performed live on Oprah and MTV Awards. I want to point that out. And we'll get to Power of Goodbye and those performances in a minute after this song, because those were um, hard <laughs> hard listens. Um, but I, I was so – I don't know why – Okay, this is what I don't understand. Why did she bring a whole orchestra on the Rosie O'Donnell show just to lip sync this song? I think it's because she was campaigning for that biopic about Roberta Gaspari, the violin teacher, and that was her student orchestra. And that was basically oh. to promote awareness. Well, no, that was that. that was Power <laughs> Goodbye, Goodbye was on the VH1 Awards. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, this yeah. one, she had like a whole grown adult, and I'm like you pay these people to lip sync this so that you go lip sync this song. I mean, I get creating like this ambience and this, and this kind of like background thing, of what you're doing, but I don't think she, I would say this. I don't think she needed it. I don't think she needed an orchestra behind her to help sell this performance. I think she did a great job just on her mm -hmm. own because the only reason why I paid attention to the orchestra is because I knew she was lip syncing and I'm like, why do you have an orchestra behind you? We can't hear them really playing. Um, it would be different if I heard, you know, some, some like live strings playing, that mm. would have been incredible or at least like turn them up so we can mm. hear them. Or maybe they, maybe they were mic'd and mm -hmm. it just flowed well with the song. I don't know. I just, that just stood out to me. And again, like random things stand out to me when I'm watching Madonna or anything. Um, but what I will say is on the outro, the house band, mm -hmm played to have and not hold and they played like this jazzy um kind of like muzak version of it and i just mm -hmm. thought that was really cute <laughs> oh god the muzak to have enough to hold <laughs> it was kind of like jazzy it was just like you could just bounce to it oh god but you know 
when I was hearing the demos of Frozen, the entire song is so different in the demo version. And surprisingly, mm-hmm. the second verse is actually from the Be Careful demo. The love is a mm. bird, she needs a fly. That's basically from the Be Careful demo. And even though, yeah. mm, which she hears originally first in the Be Careful demo, then got used in the Frozen demo. So it just, those demos are just so fascinating to hear how songs evolved and what they became into. But yeah, the final album version is obviously the definitive version of that song, No Questions. What's your favorite remix of Frozen? Um, well, I'll tell you my favorite remix, and then I'll tell you my favorite performance. Mm-hmm. My favorite remix from it will be the um, the Meltdown mix. That's Victor Caldron, right, that did that one? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is it the Meltdown? Is it? No, it's the extended club mix, but more of like the shorter club mix. I don't like the. I don't want to hear eleven minutes of it, but. Um, it's the dance remix, the one they made the video for. And that was the other thing is that there were like three videos that came out for this and they mm-hmm. used cut scene, like behind the scenes shots mm-hmm. or um, scenes that they didn't show in the regular video. So there's mm-hmm. the regular video, there were the, the stereo MCs mm-hmm. um, remix video, and then there was the, the mm-hmm. dance remix video mm-hmm. that was put out for this. Um, none of them were shown on MTV except for the the main one the mm-hmm. the album version one and these are things like you got from like collectors along the way because they were made for clubs like mm-hmm. they would play these these videos in dance clubs while the song was playing um but in order to get them yourself you'd have to get a hold of these promo copies mm-hmm. um and of course you know message boards were becoming more of a thing at that time and you could just reach out to someone and say like Hey, if I send you a money order, and this is in the US, <laughs> so I'll send you a money order for $20. Can you make me like a mixed VHS cassette that has all these videos on it? And it would be like the remix video for Frozen, the remix video for Ray of Light, the remix video for Nothing Really Matters. Like they made these Danorama Danorama, Danorama remix videos who mm-hmm. did the remix video for Secret, mm-hmm. which did get airplay on MTV. Um, but they were circulating, but yes, sorry. That's my favorite remix, mm-hmm. but my favorite performance of the song would be drunk world tour. 100%. Okay. Like the big geisha look with the long sleeves, like that span mm-hmm. across the stage and then they get ripped off and then they, the dancers run with them as like flags going back and forth. I thought mm-hmm. that was, um, that's my favorite performance. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite remix and your favorite performance? My favorite remix is Stereo MC. And I just thought, I love the ding, 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 ding part before the chorus and all. Mm-hmm. I thought that was so, I thought that entire Stereo MC remix was just so fucking trippy on so many levels. And I love that she used that, elements of that for the Drown World to a performance because it so totally fit with the whole Geisha motif and everything. Yes. Okay, for the longest time, Drowned World Tour was my favorite performance of Frozen. No shade to reinvention tour, simplicity and beauty, and no shade to Sticky and Sweet's great, amazing dance version mixed in with Open Your Heart. I love those as well. But for the longest time, I thought that she could never top the Geisha section, Frozen. Right, yeah. But then I saw Madden Max. And I saw Lourdes doing her beautiful projected dance on those big screen or whatever. And Madonna being like this little sliver 
humbling herself in front of the grand image of her daughter. Yes. That it totally, that entire performance changed it from be it a lover being frozen or your higher self calling you to open your third eye and experience life. This became a love letter from a mother to a daughter. And it just became such a beautiful performance. I remember I had tears in my eyes watching the Madame X show live in London. And I was like, this is, on paper, it's so simple. Madonna's literally just standing there with a little light on her. And Lourdes is doing all the moves, but it's recorded. It's not even like she's on stage live. But just that entire atmospheric feeling, which I thought they captured so well on the Madame X tour. I like that performance. And I actually like the musical arrangement in that mm-hmm. one because you hear more acoustic guitar mm-hmm. in that version mm-hmm. um which i thought you know with the the way that madame x was more stripped down anyway mm-hmm. i kind of liked hearing that um reinvention tour was good i just don't it's it's probably not my favorite sticky and sweet that was a very interesting way and i um i do like that but yeah the standout for me 100% is Drown World Tour. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, a close second would probably be Madame X slash Sticky and Sweet. Madame X is a reinventor. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> then from Frozen, we go mm-hmm. into The Power of Goodbye. Yes. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure you can tell me the kind of spiritual journey into this song. Um, but just for me, I'll... It's it's an okay song. It's again, it's not one of my favorites. I think we're getting to the part of the album where, after Frozen, it, it, we're now getting into a lot of slower songs, mm-hmm. and and it's it's almost like she did a slow rise into the fast tracks, and now she's kind of like we're on we're on the descent. I won't say the decline. I'll say the descent just kind of like mellow out for the rest of this trip before we go underground um so to speak with the last song on the record but for this one um it's a cool song Mm -hmm. i don't know if if it was a great choice as a single and we didn't talk about this but drown world was not a single in the u.s Mm -hmm. it was only a single in the uk and european market Mm -hmm. while power of goodbye was released as the single for America as the third mm-hmm. single. The video is, she looks incredible in the video. Um, and I, I believe it was also uh, kind of an homage to um, a Joan Crawford film, Humoresque. Uh, the whole beach scene was part of that. It, it's a beautifully shot video. It looks really cool. The song's fine. Uh, I mean, I'm not trying to like shit on it but it's it's not again it's not like one of my favorite tracks we're, we're getting into the point where a lot of these aren't necessarily my favorite tracks as you get towards the i like listening to it um my, i'll go ahead and just say my favorite remix is the dallas austin remix because I, I cannot st- i can't listen the other ones are just too unlistenable for me but um tell me your thoughts on the song and then tell me your favorite uh remix and then we'll talk about the performances okay so we're gonna widely disagree but i think power of goodbye is in the top three in this album i think it just okay a those lush strings are so fucking beautiful especially after the bridge where they go into full volume yes i will agree with that that is like you know when i first heard it as a child as a teen 
a new team. My heart was like literally racing at how beautiful that entire thing was. Um, there's again a spiritual motif to the song because like I said, Frozen is basically the Shavasana time of the yoga class, so to speak, in the journey. This is basically when you've awoken up and you're basically like understood what you have to do. You're cutting ties to all the toxic relationships in your life. Not just the one whose heart's not open, but not just them. You're cutting off toxicity from your habits. You're cutting off toxicity from cycles which are vicious and constantly repeating. And also, here's the thing where there's so far we've seen a lot of Eastern mysticism here. Here comes a little bit of Kabbalah with one lyric. You were my lesson I had to learn. I was the fortress you had to burn. Why is the Kabbalah reference? Because that's actually based on the tarot card called the Tower, which is traditionally in Kabbalistic texts. The number 16 is the Tower card, which also means the burning fortress in many esoteric, not esoteric systems. And that is basically about, that entire card is about, you know, if we say water is the cleansing rebirth, fire is like baptism of fire. You burn it, let it grow again. So that's basically what the drown world is where she was unconsciously rebirthing. Power of a goodbye is where she's consciously making changes. Uh, mm. Now about the video. So yes, the second half of the video is Joan Crawford and humoresque. But the first part is Faye Dunaway in a Thomas Crown affair with the chess playing scene before she kisses Goran Vishnu. Yes. Yes. And so... Madonna has basically taken Faye Dunaway and Joan Crawford and put them together for the first time since Mommy Dearest was ever made. Right. And that yeah. is like the biggest gay cultural milestone movie ever, Mommy Dearest. And that is Madonna's she way of telling... She 51% of this company. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's... That's the thing. This is Madonna's way of telling her gay audience that don't worry, I haven't forgotten you, but the smart ones of you will get it. The cultured ones will get it. The Gen Zers who don't bother Googling and researching will never get it. It points to Madonna referencing things that influence her. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, regardless if it was the director or her uh, or collaborative effort, I'm sure, Mm -hmm. as always, um, to to do this. Mm-hmm. And I think it looks, I mean, it looks great. And I think people that pick up on those references will get them. And those who don't, I don't think it necessarily matters because you're going to, you can enjoy it. So uh, for me personally, I think, for example, you know, like when, when I'm looking at the Ray of Light VMA performance, there are things that I don't necessarily get or understand the references or, or what she's doing. But when I see something like nothing really matters or the power of goodbye video. I don't necessarily have to understand everything that's deeper that's going on because I can enjoy it without knowing that. Um, so I think that there's always like that fine line of like, yes, there's references in here. And those of you who, who, who know, know, if you know, you know, and if you don't, I'm still going to make sure that you can enjoy this. So I think that this video is a good example of that. Like maybe not everyone understands that the that there's references and she does that a lot with her mm. videos or performances um as we all know uh and you know it it ends up turning out great yeah and impeccable 
And that's why, you know, Madonna remains such a powerful cultural force because, like I said, everything she does has a great amount of thought behind it. Nothing is superficial and nothing is superfluous on a surface level. It's all deep. My favorite remix is actually the Fabian's Good God remix. Is that the one that just, like, pulses yeah and her voice is all staticky i don't know if it's staticky but yeah there's a pulsing beat to it and it's like your heart is not your heart is not your heart is not your heart is not open i love it such a total trippy song if you ever those of you smoke weed please smoke weed while listening to this remix and imagine the trip you'll have well you can have that one (laughs) Yeah, you, I'll let you have that one. You can keep <laughs> Dallas Austin's Blamey remix. <laughs> His boring remix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, honestly, it, it's a basic remix, and I like it. Well, I'll tell you the reason why I like it is, you know, I like remixes that, you know, I, of course, enjoy remixes that totally reconstruct the song mm-hmm. and make it into something magnificent, kind of like Express Yourself, for mm-hmm. example. That's a song where it's... It, while it's the same song, it sounds totally different on the Shep Pettibone remix than it does on the album version. I mean, there's similarities and there's things that, that carry over, but um, it's totally different. And then there's remixes that are just like extensions that can either help elevate the song or create it into something else. For this album in particular, and actually I, I will pretty much say most of the albums going forward... I think she does a great job of creating a great track where it doesn't necessarily need a remix. Mm-hmm. This this one falls in that category for me. So when I'm trying to listen to it, I'd rather hear something that sounds more pure to the original album version than so something that just like not only puts it outside of the box, but like shakes it up, scribbles it up and and crumples it up and uncrumples it and and throws it out into the universe floating in the air i think there's beauty in that but also at the same time i just like i'm gonna let someone else catch that i'm going to just latch on to this this one that that doesn't threaten my nostalgia of the song (laughs) if that makes sense okay well look at it this way madonna (laughs) has something for everyone of course, mm-hmm. and that's why I think that's why Madonna can transcend across generations because there are people that love the things that I don't, mm-hmm. and I get to love the things that they don't. Yeah. So um, that's how she's able to, you know, have this fan base yeah. that you know transcends generations. And I'm sure there are millions of fans who love hard candy. Absolutely. <laughs> It was a very successful album for her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, to have and not to hold. Uh. Well, my thoughts on this song is it's not my favorite. <laughs> I can't, uh, now I'm saying that about. I used to say, oh, this is my favorite track on this album. And now I'm saying, this is not my favorite track. This is not. This is probably my least favorite track on the album. Mm-hmm. And uh, I it's a fine song, but I imagine I could hear anybody sing this song. And I guess that's why it's, it doesn't really stand out to me. Cause I feel like, you know, you could pick any adult contemporary artist at this time and they could have recorded the song. Donna DeLore could have 
recorded this song and put it on her Bliss album and it would have meshed perfectly and I probably would have loved the way it sounded. But for some reason, it just doesn't, I don't connect with it as a Madonna fan for a Madonna song. Are you done trashing it? Your turn. Oh, I'm, I, that's not trashing. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't say it was horrible. Mm -hmm. I still, I mean, listen, and I'll say this about most every Madonna album. If I put it on, if I put on the album, I'm, I'm not going to skip it. So to have not to hold is not the most spectacular song. I will give you that, but I see it as a quiet meditation. It's like, we've had the, break up the transformative moments with the previous two songs, Frozen and Power of Goodbye. This is that period of quiet. It's like, you know, you're contemplating like, okay, I've been through that transformation. Now what am I going to do with life? And it's like a meditation on the temporariness of everything. That at the end of the day, nothing is ever going to be permanent. Not even the concept of romantic love will ever be permanent, no matter what happens in this world. And I'm not saying that people don't have everlasting love stories, but I'm just saying that even when you really love someone and you get married to them, that love changes. It's never the same as it was when you first met them. And that's what the song to me is about. It's basically a meditation about the temporariness of life and love. Are you done praising it? Well, <laughs> it has to be balanced, yin and yang. I know. I'm, I'm just teasing you. <laughs> and then we get to Little Star, yes. which is a song written for Lourdes. Lourdes Maria Ciccone Leone. Lola. I love the song, and particularly the only performance of that song, which she did on Oprah, which was a more jazz version and i'll point this out when she did the promotion for this album whenever she performed live she had her she had most of the members from the girly show band Mm -hmm. perform with Mm -hmm. her and who i think is the best band she's ever had on tour Mm -hmm. um and the way they arranged this song it was like quite beautiful there was like a lot of piano Mm -hmm. the the bass was really deep um and it was, you know, you never, when they performed Ray of Light, it was like the album version of Ray of Light. And then when they performed this song, you didn't get what you heard on the album, which I love. And it was very, it was even more lullaby-ish mm-hmm. than the album version. And, um, but I do like this song. I think it's a great song and uh, I think she should bring it back. Yeah. I love this song. I think this is the best lullaby ever written by a pop star in so many ways. Um, I think this song is just pure love for Lourdes. This is like, I don't think any other child got a pure love song, not to bring about sibling rivalry, but no other child got a pure love song the way Lourdes got it. I love the fact that this song is just pure love. Like, you know... Lord, like, you know, when you have songs about family members you love, they get all schmaltzy and blah, like Mama by the Spice Girls, for instance, or something like that. It's really... I do like that song. Yeah, I mean, we all love that song. We all have mothers who put up with us, but it's like, you know what I mean? This song doesn't have any sense of sarcasm or irony, and you can't really 
even call this song schmaltzy because you can feel that pure emotional deep rooted maternal love madonna had for the birth of lola which yeah you don't get that same sort of you get fear with intervention for rocker there's an element of fear what to do there's an element of searching with looking for mercy in so many ways like you know the desperate search for answers but with lodas this is probably the most happiest she's ever been because that time the world wasn't we were living in a pre 911 world there was so much positivity going on in so many ways or the other madonna was just at the happiest time in her life and this song just captures pure unadulterated happiness without any sense of irony or any sense of schmaltziness or negativity of any form it's a very sweet song and um i i enjoy not only just like the lyrics mm-hmm. of it but musically yeah. i think it, it's it's a great composition too also there's one lyric which really if you think about it is actually so simple on the surface but so deep you breathe new life into my broken heart i think that's such a deep right. lyric if you think about it right it's like and if you go by the narrative it's like the protagonist in this real life narrative novel journey has broken up changed everything but now finally that after that quiet meditation of to have and not to hold finally she experiences joy for what it truly is and what it truly should be which i think is a great transition for us to talk about the last song murderall oh yeah this is about her mother mm-hmm. and i think i think there was something that happened right like the she heard the music because i think this this music is this existed previous to her mm-hmm. you know writing it and recording it and this was one of those instances where the music inspired her to write the lyrics mm-hmm. and it's this very dark song about her mother mm-hmm. and how she processes that and how she processes her death even to mm-hmm. this day or this point in time in 1998 and uh this song reflects that and these kind of like deep thoughts I mean, deep and dark thoughts that Madonna has mm-hmm. when she does think about not only the the remembrance of what she has of her mother but mm-hmm. kind of like the physical aspect of of what's happening now what does she look like now just a bunch of dust or um her spiritual and and where she is now mm-hmm. like and Madonna kind of processing that and writing it through these these like mysterious type lyrics um i'm going to have you give your take of course because i know this is this kind of like finalizes the album yeah. and i know that you've had this this great insight on on how you think the album flows and mm-hmm. ending with this song tell me your thoughts on it i see this as a song for postpartum depression wow okay tell me more so if you look at the entire thing from the narrative which we've carved out so far it's basically a soul that was reborn onto planet earth after washing away all its sins and still making plenty of more sins along the way until it reaches this point where a bad relationship leaves her without any love in her life but a child to take care of and yes the child brought her ha- incredible unadulterated happiness but once happiness is fleeting 
at the end of the day. Happiness is not something that we can be 24-7. After the excitement of the new birth, the chance of maybe life can be all beautiful, reality sets in. And that's like, is this really what, am I going to make the same mistakes my mother made? Obviously, Madonna's mother's never could make too many mistakes because poor thing passed away when she was only five. But you know what I mean? It's like repeating the sins of our parents or our family, which we had to endure, repeating all the negative shit, not only which we'll project onto our own children at the end of the day, because we do project our issues onto our children, but also imagining I've brought a new life into this world, but what is this child going to think of this world that we are still living in? Because let's face it, post Lola's birth, so many crazy, catastrophic world events happen in so many ways, right? Which right. is maybe that's another discussion for prophetic Madonna. But what I'm trying to say is that this is basically where we've seen the light two, three times through this album. The first thing with Ray of Light, and we had the big disco lights of skin to show a seduction. Then we finally have an adulterated light of love through uh, little stuff. But now the darkness is coming in. That's how depression kind of seeks in for some people. It's mm. like true happiness. We enjoy it fully, but when darkness comes and takes over our soul, we just feel numb and we're not able to handle it. And that's why there are the images of her mother passing and death because that's the only idea of motherhood she has. Technically, Madonna, that's the only mother she knew, the one who passed away when she was only five. Exactly, yeah. So it's that thing, the anxiety of what am I going to pass on to my daughter? Yes, I've had my spiritual journey. Yes, I've contemplated the meaning of life through different philosophies and all. But now I actually have my child's flesh and my flesh and blood child in my arms. Things that this is not the end. This is going to basically get tougher and tougher with time passing by. And then it's also like, you know, part of it is also a little suicidal in a way. Like, what if I die? What if I basically, right. you know, die and I can feel the ground swallow me up with the ants marching across my back and everything? Is that the last image my child will see of me? And that is why it comes to the whole rebirth thing, because this is a new crisis which will lead to a new rebirth. So when you listen to this album in a loop, it ends with murder, but it restarts with John World because it's again the recontemplating that I need to cleanse so much and wash away my sins and start yeah. rebuilding life. So this entire album cycle is basically reincarnation summarized through karmic debts and baggages. Very philosophical. Yeah, and well, the thing is too is she recorded 14 songs for this album. But she only wanted to put 13 on, so the 14th track was a B-side to Ray of Light or the extra track on the Japanese album called Has To Be. And it's one of my favorite songs from this recording process. I actually think if she was going to re re replace any song on this album, I would have chosen To Have and Not To Hold. I think Has To Be would have been a good replacement. Um, I know it messes with your your narrative for this album <laughs> but i to me i just love this song i i can sense a visual of what this video or imagery could look like um 
And for some reason, the the image that always comes to mind is like my favorite. One of my favorite paintings is the um, Salvador Dali's uh, The mm-hmm. Red Elephants, where it's like the elephants with the long uh, stilt-like legs and the big thing on the back. And I imagine Madonna just being in the back of one of them and and traveling to her kingdom um, where she's finding someone out there because she knows there just has to be someone out there. You know... Finally, you've given me a trippy way of looking at the song. <laughs> finally, uh-huh. at the end, gotcha. The end of at everything. the end of everything, <laughs> you finally give me a trippy version of the song, and I love it. Now, there's a reason why Madonna chose thirteen because thirteen in the tarot is the number of death. It's the death card, so to speak. Mm. Wow. And we, uh, oh, when it ends, and yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. <laughs> but yeah, death is never an ending. Like she said in the Die Another Day making of the video, pain is just an illusion and death is just a doorway from one life to the next. So at the end, that is why it's 13, because we're all trapped in the cycle of death and rebirth. That's why if this album is played on the mm. loop, we are going through different incarnations altogether. Um, along with that, uh, I think has to be Works as track 14. Why? Because... That's basically, I would say, not discounting your Salvador Dali imagery because that's so fucking perfect. I love that. I'm I'm gonna just Google that image and just like listen to has to be on a loop, imagining that. Thank you for that. I think has to be as track fourteen is basically the soul when it's died in Murgo is thinking there has to be a greater meaning. I can do better. There has to be a way. And maybe there's someone out there who, if you go by the Greco philosophy that we're all half-empty souls and we're looking for a soulmate to complete us, maybe that's part of Madonna's spiritual journey because we know Madonna's a deeply romantic person minus whatever the public might think of the people she dates or marries. She is a romantic and she truly does believe in love, which is why her songs about heartbreak and really hit you on the soul level. So this could basically be like, you know, like, I'm not giving up on this journey because, you know, there has to be something. Hence, I'll leave the heavenly realm that reincarnate into this hellish earth, this drowned world, and find him. Yeah. Or her, depending on which era of Madonna's sexuality we're looking into. Well, there you have it. That's that's Ray of yeah. Light, the album. Um, oh, you know what? We never talked about the Frozen lawsuit where her song got banned in Belgium for copyright reasons. Um, I went back and I listened to that song and like, yeah, I hear the melody. I mean, I don't know. I don't know, but I, I think the ban has been lifted, right? Like it can be sold in Belgium again. Okay. For, yes. No, I do personally you know? think that that guy has such a small metaphorical penis about everything. I'm like, <laughs> Oh, stop. <laughs> some people have songs that just sound similar. And you know, this was just, I think this was an instance of, I even perhaps she heard the song uh, in passing and the melody got stuck in her head. I don't think it was intentional. I don't think people can confuse the two songs, which is what copyright is really supposed to be about is not being able to not being like duped into thinking that you're listening to something when someone else actually wrote it. Um, I think there are uh, songs that have had less way less connection or sound alike ability that have been dragged and lost um 
And I think in this instance, uh, Madonna has prevailed because I think they have lifted that well, ban. It was only Belgian. <laughs> Ooh, don't be talking bad about the Belgian fans. Belgium stress. Belgium stress. <laughs> I have some very lovely Belgian friends who they know I love them, and it's not no shade against Belgium, the country. But I'm like, <laughs> I just found that whole lawsuit idea so stupid. And at the end of the day, what did it accomplish? That person is not exactly known for anything else apart from the lawsuit. It didn't really help his career in any way. It certainly didn't stop Frozen from becoming a worldwide smash in any which way. What was the point of it? What did he gain? I don't know. Sometimes it's not necessarily about... Sometimes it's more about the principle okay, than, fine, but than then, like what I get out okay, of it. But fine. At the end of the day, wh- even if it is the principle, it wasn't that much of a ripoff. If you hear the demos, I don't see the demos sounding which sound very different than the actual final album track. Who knows if it was actually Madonna who did it. Maybe it was William who may have heard it somewhere and then subconsciously put it in. It's like, Possibly, yeah, because yeah. like I said, if you hear the original demos, Frozen on the demo sounds very different from Frozen on the albums. Even lyrics are different and all. And we know William retinkered everything over there. So... But but then obviously patriarchy will yeah. demonize a strong career woman because God forbid a woman has success over some minuscule obscure <laughs> patriarchal heterosexual cisgendered man. <laughs> well, I I also think that you know Madonna is like the face of it, right? So that's why it comes more against her than so than say like William Orbit or any any mm. of the other like engineers or writers on this or producers that helped with this record so it's it's always about oh well it's against madonna and i think that happens with a lot of artists which i don't necessarily find so fair because it's uh, making a record is a collaborative effort madonna didn't go into the studio alone she she had other people there that she was collaborating with um you know what else we didn't talk about (laughs) the ray of light movie says do you have a favorite i actually don't have a favorite because um, I just like the original track much more so than the remixes. Like I, like I said, if it doesn't if it doesn't take me to a, a a new a new place, or if there's not something that's just more of an extension of the original song, then you know I'm just going to listen to the original track. So, do you have a favorite remix of Ray of Light remix? I have two of the Ray of Light song. <laughs> oh, two. Which ones? Uh, first is the Sasha Ultraviolet mix. That one's pretty cool. Yeah, I loved it. I thought even the Victor Calderon did a good job. I just love Sasha's Ultraviolet. I think that was the one used in the video too. It was just so fucking brilliant. Um, now this remix, which I'm going to talk about now, is not found on the Wikipedia page, but I know this is a remix that exists somewhere in the remix sphere. Maybe it's a bootleg remix. I think it's called the Richie okay. Santana mix. I think you can find it on YouTube. The Ray of Light Richie Santana mix it has this very sort of Brazilian samba sound. Maybe it's not samba. Forgive me if I've said that wrong, but it kind of gives me that sort of carnival vibe with the percussions and everything. I'm going to have to check that out. We also, I forgot to mention, um, Skyfit7 has a remix, the 
by Calderon, mm-hmm. by Victor Calderon. Mm-hmm. It's on his um, E equals BC squared album mm-hmm. um, with a bunch of other remixes. Uh, and that one's okay also. <laughs> it's not one of my favorites. Didn't he have a – was there another one on the Drowned World? Uh, Drowned World, like one of the European singles? Yeah, it yeah was, I think that's a Sasha remix. It was a remix again. edit. Yeah. So I don't know if it's this. There's a Sasha remix, you're right, mm-hmm. and a Victor Calderon mm-hmm. edit. Um, yeah. So there you have it. That is Ray of Light. Um, after that, she did release a single, and I think it's important to talk about because I think it fits more with Ray of Light than it mm-hmm. does on the next album. But um, Beautiful Strangers. So it was for the Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me movie. And. Um, it's a really cute song it's it's very 60s hippie trippy but also has that william orbit vibe in the video for beautiful stranger i think she looks incredible because she has like this tan i don't know if it's real or if it's spray on i don't care but she looks great her hair looks great because it's like light brown but it has all these highlights in it and uh the video is just it's it's a really simple video but I think I love it. It looks, she looks great. She's in a club. She's in her element. Um, she does this, this tongue in cheek interaction with Mike Myers. Uh, and I don't know. What are your thoughts on beautiful stranger? I think it's one of the sexiest songs she's ever released ever. Like, I know erotica and justify my love and all those songs are called the so-called sexy songs, but beautiful strangers, like pure sexy fun. I mean, it's like, you know, the way she looks in that video, the way she's dancing, it's pure sex. But it's demure, it's cat-like. It's almost like there's a certain feline sensibility. Even her eyes, yeah. the green in her eyes is exposed so much more to give it that feline feel. It's very coquettish, very 60s femme fatale vibe to it all. And not in terms of the look. The look is very real flight-centric, but... Just the feel of the song, the 60s beats and everything like that, the psychedelia of it all. I can, and I honestly think this is one of the her best soundtrack songs ever in terms of, you know, I know that Live to Tell is a brilliant song. I know Masterpiece won the Golden Globe. I know all that. But this is just such a kick-ass banger of a song, which is why... The Grammys even gave it a damn award because that's great. The production is brilliant. The lyrics are brilliant. And Madonna just looks so fucking good in that song. Like, you know, when she's doing, she this, does. When she's doing the little mini squat thingy, which she later put in every yep. tour of hers. I was like, <laughs> damn, how does she do that? It heals too. I know. And her chemistry with Mike Myers is just so organic and natural. And all. It it's is. so fun. It is, and that's the thing. I think this it's is... a fun song, and she looks. Yeah, she looks sexy. She looks incredible. And this is the first time she's being fun while being sexy. It sounds like erotica, or justify my love, in your face sexuality. This like, I'm sexy. I know it. I'm gonna have fun with it. And I love that um, it won some MTV awards at the at the mm-hmm. 1999 Video mm-hmm. Music Awards, mm-hmm. and I think she was somewhat surprised by that based on who she was competing against because mm-hmm. um, her face just looked like kind of like shocked when she won. But I love during the 1999 video music awards where she um, 
they didn't tell her it was like a surprise thing where they brought out these drag queens that are all different incarnations of her different looks and mm-hmm. they all came out um, one by one and played the songs that their look was for mm-hmm. and then um, she comes out and then she goes and like examines all of them and then she says into the mic she goes all i have to say is it takes a real man to fill my shoes um which I just is true that was brilliant. which is true of course with the promotion of this album, she did a she did a ton. She did a lot of daytime, and mm-hmm. I don't know if you know this, um, but in America, at least how I viewed it, is if you were on daytime TV, you weren't really seen as like hip or cool. Like if if you're showing up on Oprah, and I know she had already done Oprah and Rosie for the promotion of Evita, which made sense for Evita, but Ray of Light was like her comeback, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Um, seeing her in daytime TV and all these kind of like what I want to call like old people shows, like <laughs> 60 minutes when she was on there, when she was on Mary King, I was just kind of like, I don't know if I like this daytime, you know, appealing to this older audience. Like we were saying with the Oprah, it's like all these housewives and, and moms and stuff like that like the banter the games on rosie and letting rosie wear the crown and the the jane seymour bottoms jokes i was like i like what are girl what are you doing i i hated that like i and i felt that way with evita too but with evita i kind of gave it a pass because it was evita but this time I was like, girl, what are you doing? But at the same time, she was also everywhere. She was on all these shows um, and everything. And I just don't know how I felt about it. I was more into Madonna Rising on VH1, uh, where she was with Rupert Effort. And okay, this is also where her British accent started coming out more and didn't stop from there. Um but I loved that because it was the first time we went in depth and she shared songs and stories of her beginnings, which, you know, she never really did before. I mean, she talked about them sometimes in her career, but she never like went really deep into it. And especially about the nude modeling and the Playboy photos, like she went into depth with that. And that's never been brought up before in previous interviews. And she's like, have you seen the Kathy Griffin's TV special where she talks about this? <laughs> it's so funny because Kat, it, like, I think it's like an old HBO special from like the late nineties where mm-hmm. she talks about Madonna being on Madonna rising with, with Rupert Everett. And, um, I don't know. I just, and then with MTV ultrasound, how we got a look into her recording process, which we've never seen before. And I think it really had to do with her daughter. Like, that whole control thing with her daughter. She didn't want people to just take pictures of her. And I think this was her way of giving back to the audience without having to reveal too much about her daughter. Like, don't worry about her. Don't worry about my daughter. You want to talk about the nude pictures from Playboy? Let's talk about those. You know what I mean? Like, just let's talk about something other than my daughter right now. So I was too young to care about whether she's on a mom show or whatever. <laughs> during that era I mean I honestly just feel that you know this was basically Madonna trying to show the world that she's matured that she doesn't need to do True. do the same old thing I mean she's done primetime interviews throughout her entire career I'm sure she's probably 
at that time used to it all. And let's face it, the last major primetime appearance she had was that infamous Bedtime Eras thing with David Letterman where you saw her dad turned out. I think she was just, from what I remember, she was just disenchanted by the whole night nighttime talk show scene. And I think this is a time where she wanted to talk about very deep things, which you can't do on primetime shows, especially nowadays where we have celebrities playing all sorts of games on Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Kimmel and all, instead of talking about anything mm-hmm. deep. And Madonna wanted to talk about really deep things in her interviews. And yes, I wouldn't say she didn't want to talk about her daughter. She talked plenty about Lourdes in every interview. Right. But she didn't want... I think she was just being protective not to show, get too much spotlight on the world because remember, this is her first child and I can, I'm can. i sure she understands that uh, maybe she had the fear that a newborn child being exposed to cameras and everything can mess them up in many ways and she was just being a protective mama about it. And it's also, I think that's classy not to put your first phone on TV because... Look at the Kardashians parading their babies everywhere or the Real Housewives of their children or whatever. Or just reality TV, when it becomes baby-centric, there's a certain... It's like you're exploiting your own innocent child for TRP gains or ratings or whatever. I think she was just thinking... Or getting them an Oscar nomination. (laughs) Exactly. So that's the thing. I personally feel that this is... Her trying to not exploit Lourdes in any which way by putting her in front of the camera, front and center. She gave the world those beautiful Mario Testino Vanity Fair pictures of Lourdes, yep. which I thought were beautiful. And Madonna looked so beautiful in that entire shoot. But Oh, 100%. But the thing is, why would... She was just being protective about Lourdes. And she didn't want to waste... She was at a very deep time in her life, studying philosophy, studying various spiritual texts and everything. The last, when you're in that headspace, the last thing you want to do is go watch, go on a show run by a has-been stand-up comedian just for cheap thrills and a laugh. Yeah. Well, I think what was um, interesting too, uh, a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'd also like to point out, we got Behind the Music. Mm-hmm. They did a special, an hour and a half episode for Madonna. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Um, that was incredible because she again went into, and I think this was a very down to earth Madonna we saw yeah. during this time period. Yeah. I think, and this is the last time we really saw a true down to earth Madonna who kind of just, kind of just, you know, told it like it was and um, just let you know that she's a human being too, like mm. eating peanuts while talking to Kurt Loder or exactly you know, because um, this is the last time she felt so free to just be herself. Yeah, this is. That's what Lourdes's birth gave her freedom to just say, fuck all that shit, I'm just going to be me on so many levels. Right. Which is why even I'm sure she's wearing makeup and the behind the music thingy, but it's almost stripped down, very natural looking. It's not all glammed up mm-hmm. and dolled up. It's almost like she's looking like a, a new mother without too much time to put on cakes <laughs> of makeup, but she's just being herself and being chill about it. Obviously, yeah. it didn't carry I, on into the music era because a certain someone entered her life, but that's sort of another episode. Well, I think it's funny because when she was on Larry King and mm-hmm. and she was asked about marriage, mm-hmm. she said, 
you know, I don't think I'm going to be, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it and then cut to two years later, her getting married. <laughs> well, she was pregnant with Rocco, so maybe she wanted Rocco to have a daddy and look what that led to on so many levels. Well, hey, I mean, she made her bed and she was lying in it. Well, that's she... all I'll say about that. I, I, I mean, I don't think it was the worst thing for her, but I, you know, I'm as long as she's happy now, that's good. And what I think is, um, what I like to point out is, you know, we actually connected sort of through that because mm -hmm. Chris Ciccone talked about <laughs> a lot about Guy in his book. And that's how we met. We met mm -hmm. on, uh, by doing the Immaculate Podcast mm -hmm. um, book club chat. So there you go. Guy Ritchie was, was needed for Madonna so that the two of us could meet on a podcast. Exactly. See, everything <laughs> in the universe is connected to a ray of light. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things, one of the things uh, I also wanted to point out is there were multiple names for this album. One was like Mantra was one of the thoughts. And another one was Veronica Electronica. Um, and I remember after the album came out, she was like, well, maybe I'll do like a remix album called Veronica Electronica with just remixes from Ray of Light. And it was supposed to have like this 10 minute version, the original like Ray of Light version of the song. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think maybe a leak of it has come out or a fan made mix of it has come out. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's, I wish that project would have happened, but it didn't. And then she was also asked about going on tour uh, where I think, during the Rupert interview, she said, I don't see myself at 50 at Madison square garden. <laughs> and I felt that was like, uh, it's so great to like look back on things and see how people's perspective has changed because her, hers definitely has, it never stops. I think that's the difference between Madonna and a lot of people is like mm -hmm. people get to a certain point in their life and they just don't like want to really expand on anything else because um, it can get tiring thinking about that many things and and continuing to do that throughout your life but i i like that she had a perspective of like yeah you know like I, i'm not i'm not going out on i'm not gonna do some like large tour at madison square garden when i'm 50 years old well here we she are she did her <laughs> biggest tour at madison square garden at the right? right there you go there you go and um, what I, what I just feel so sad is that this era was marred by a movie she did instead of promoting this album on its own individual tour. Oh, I know. And, I mean, I think you said you like this movie? No! Oh. I was... <laughs> I, can't, I think I talked to someone where they were like, well, I like this movie. And I'm like, okay, cool. See, um, I thought I, I hate beautiful that in the movie. I thought she looked stunning. I love the fact that she totally owned her yoga persona and made script changes to make her yoga instructor instead of a swimming instructor. And I thought... She gave herself a British accent. Okay, I have something to say about the British accent. I know everyone rips on her about it, but here's the thing people's accents change when they move to different places. Some it's very subtle, some it's more obvious. If you look at Madonna interviews, okay, look at when she was in her early New York years, the way she spoke. Then look at when she was living in LA with Sean Penn during True Blue and Like a Prayer and everything like that. The accent has changed a little. Look at her Miami time interviews. There are hints of a different accent there. 
it's very subtle because they're all Pan-American accents in many which ways. But mm-hmm. she went across the pond, surrounded herself with Brits, lived that too from Evita town because it was a largely British crew she was working with. I'm not going to disagree with you. I think there's there's a lot of truth to that. My argument back to you is I feel like Madonna, when she was in the studio with Kurt Loder, she didn't have an accent. And then when we saw her on the set of her video and when she did the Madonna Rising, she all of a sudden had an accent, just like out of nowhere. You're talking to Rupert all the time. Was very but she was in New York. Wouldn't she adapt her, her, her New York accent again? Again, it's like when you're talking. Her Nikki to Finn someone. accent? Because of linguistics. Which <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving you a hard time. I, I totally get what you're saying. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not against it. But I will say, like, um, we didn't talk about this, about what the would-be tour would have been, but when she was on much music i believe it was much music she was talking about the direction she would go for what would be a tour and she actually did say on larry king that after she was done making the next best thing she was going to go on tour but she didn't i think she just went straight into making um, music music, the new album music and but she did say if she was going to tour it would be um very influenced by india well, she kind of showed that with MDNA with the Cyberaga section because if you watch the entire MD that entire performance of Cyberaga and Amasina, the background screens are basically a train trip across the Indian subcontinent. You have the south, the north, the east, and the west, all famous historical temples and landmarks in the projection background till she ends yeah. at Cyberaga. And the little screens that pop out in the center, then the shape of an Indian Rajdhani train. So she did live up to the Indian thing. It's just that, I guess, by only got in one performance. (laughs) Well, she's never visited India on tour. (laughs) Well, I think we've done it three and a half hours later. Again, (laughs) this is going to be an editing nightmare. Let's. where can people come and say hi to you? I mean, if you Google me, you'll find a whole bunch of stuff about me. But um, I, you can just search my name on Facebook. You'll find me there. Although nobody goes on Facebook anymore. That's not a story. Um, on Instagram, I'm available as Ajna Jil, which is a yoga term, which I've already bored you enough with yoga and philosophy. Huh. The light thing, I'm not going to explain the meaning behind it, but it's A-J-N-A-J-O-G. Okay, I'll put that on our Instagram at Madonna Get Together, and people can DM you and you can you can explain to them what your Instagram handle is. <laughs> um, hey, this concludes our discussion about Ray of Light. I want to thank everyone for listening. I think this was a great season opener, and I cannot wait to talk again soon when we all can get together. So thank you, everyone. Thanks, Orion. Thanks, Wayne. Thank you for having me. You know, as much as I would love to include everything in the episode that was recorded, Sometimes, depending on the sequence of the conversation, how many tangents we've gone off on, and I tend to go off on a lot, 
um, some things just end up on the cutting room floor. But I did think it was important to just keep this part of the conversation just because it's a little fun banter that Zori and I went on as we talked about the power of goodbye performances and the movies that she was supposed to do around this time. Do we have to? Do we have to talk about the power of goodbye performances? I mean, let's face it, they weren't really memorable in many ways unless you want to cut the one again. higher. Well, her arm inflection. Well, she did that with, um... Shanti Ashtangi, Ashtangi, right? She goes, Sundar Sheetar. Mm-hmm. She like really made her R's really pronounced. Yeah. And I love her for it because it just gave me something more to rejoice about it. <laughs> the VH1 performance is where she had the kids orchestra. Mm-hmm. And that was where she was preparing for a movie role for um, Music of the Heart, right? And she was supposed to be Meryl Streep's character. Imagine how that would have happened. Well, I don't think the movie was that big, right? Was it? Because Meryl was just being too Meryl about it. You just got that NSYNC and Gloria Stefan song. A theme song. Do you think that would have been Madonna in her place? Like, Like, what role do you think Madonna would play? The one that Meryl Streep played or the one that... Gloria Stefan played. And just just a little um, tidbit, I never saw the movie, so I don't know how, how big Gloria Stefan's character was. Gloria Stefan's character wasn't that big, so obviously Madonna would have played the Meryl Streep character. Okay. And I, I'm, I, can, I don't know how good or bad the movie would be, but I would say they would have a better original soundtrack song than the one Gloria did with NSYNC or whatever. <gasps> Do you think that if Madonna had the role, Gloria would have still been in the movie? Yeah, and we would have got Miami remixes of... <gasps> hey, wasn't Madonna also supposed to be in Chicago? It was she supposed to be Madonna playing. and Goldie Hawn, right? It was supposed to be her and Goldie Hawn, and then that deal fell through, and then it became mm-hmm. Catherine Zeta-Jones and um, Renee Zellweger. Yeah. Madonna would have been amazing in Chicago. She was going to play Velma, right? Yeah, and she would have totally been amazing in that movie. That could have given her the Oscar, but Catherine Zeta-Jones got it. Well, hey, Madonna's still alive. She has time. Yes, she has a biopic to win the Best Director and Best Movie Oscar. (laughs) 